Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, we have more here uh, today than we did last Sunday, and that's a good thing. So, praise God that you're here and uh, we're worshiping together. Uh, we want to welcome those who are listening. And, uh, you know, Psalm 36 says, God's loving kindness is excellent. He is good. He is good. Did you know that God has a plan for you? And uh, he knows all about what's going on in your life, all the struggles, all the difficulties, all the, uh, all the things that are happening, all your needs. He knows that. He knows each one of us. And uh, he knows all about you. He has a perfect plan for you. Perfect plan for each and every one of us. Think about this. The God that spoke the universe into existence cares about us. That's amazing. Uh, now, we're in a study of First Peter, and uh, I think I told you uh, at the onset, and this is First Peter part four, I think I told you this, that in one of my classes, we, I think it was, uh, I think we were covering the entire New Testament, we get down to First Peter, and my professor said this, he said, look, before we ever start this, I want to tell you, I studied First Peter, and it changed my life, and I got to tell you, I, I was in between studying books at that studying books of the bible at that time and i thought man i got to jump in there and study that so i began to go through first peter and uh, man he was right it runs chills up my spine right now just thinking about that but uh, uh god used peter in a in a remarkable way and you know as you study any book of the new testament it's important to refer back to james the oldest book of the new testament you know we we've we've uh, i've tried to uh restate that numerous times because it's important to get into a habit when we study the new testament to go back to james uh, the oldest book of the new testament james of course was the half brother of jesus and in james 4 8 he says these words draw nigh to god and he will draw nigh to you draw near to god and he will draw near to you and that's what he wants he wants us to draw close to him uh, it's amazing to think that God wants a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with me. That's, that's amazing. He knows all about us, and he's, he wants a relationship with us. In the late 90s, maybe 98, 99, somewhere along in there, you know, those of you who are as old as me, you know those years begin to run together. They, they just kind of all become about the same. But 98, 99, somewhere along in there, my wife Donna and I, uh, made a trip or took a trip to the east coast we took a trip to maine and uh, we both fell in love with uh, maine and so while we were there one evening we took uh, we took a cruise an evening cruise in this uh, this bay area around kennebunkport some of you maybe have been to kennebunkport and so we took this little cruise and i'll never forget that particular evening it was an open air boat so, you know, in that area, it was a little chilly uh, that night. And I think this was even the summertime, and it was still pretty chilly. And Donna and I, we boarded, and we sat uh, close to the back. And, uh, you know, it was a little chilly, so they handed out blankets, and we were thankful for that. And soon after we got on, a lady boarded, and she had the dress, the attire uh, of a witch, 
And she, you could tell this lady wanted to look like a witch. It was not Halloween. And so uh, it, was, it was all black, and uh, she had the makeup, everything. And she, the thing, one of the things that really stands out to me that I remember was that she had a, <coughs> excuse me, she had a little purse, and the purse was in the form of a casket. And so this lady was wanting to look like a witch, and she was a young lady. And so uh, she was in darkness. I mean, it was all around her, and Donna and I began to think about some way that we could approach her, some way that we could say something to this lady. She she was seated up near the front of the of the boat, and I believe there was a young man with her as well. And so they ran out of blankets before she got on. And so we started out in the bay, and it was cold, and you could tell she was cold. So we gave her our blanket. Now we were cold. And, uh, but we thought, well, maybe that was an inroad for us to speak to her. And so we spent the whole cruise. We even took a picture of her from uh, kind of the behind side. So we have a picture of her at our house. And so after the, after the, uh, the cruise was over, we, you know, we, we knew as, as we were riding that cruise, we knew that this was no accident. She was on there. We're on there. And so after the cruise was over, we made every effort to to reach her, to cross paths with her. You know, everybody was parked in the same parking lot, and so we hurried and and we made we crossed paths. And I could only think of one thing to say to her, only one. And I so I just said, "Hey, you know, Jesus loves you." That's all I could think to say. So I said it like this: "You know, Jesus loves you." And I just felt like I needed to say that to you. And I just she smiled at me. She didn't curse me or anything like that. She smiled at me, and, and that's all I said. But, you know, I think about her from time to time, and, and once again, we even have a picture of her. But I'm so thankful that God is in the details of our lives, and he can even orchestrate events like that one. And so I praise him for that. So no matter what, has occurred you know that that lady was in darkness no matter what has occurred in your life she had quite a past no matter what past uh your life holds god is calling you and i today to draw near to him to start the process of drawing near to him and uh remember several years prior to the writing of first peter peter denied that he even knew jesus christ and yet god used him to write these words and to give us clear direction about how to draw near to god now, i'm so thankful for that now let's uh, let's open to first peter and we're going to look at chapter 2 As a matter of fact we're going to wrap chapter 2 up I guess the, the correct English way to say that, we're going to wrap up chapter 2. And so if you have that open, let's stand together. We're going to read verse 9. Now, we looked at verse 9 last week, but we're going to look at it again, and then we'll move on into the rest of the chapter. This is chapter 2 of First Peter, verse 9. It says, but ye are a chosen generation. Now, that's Christians. That's Christians. It's not just a reference to, to, to uh, Jewish Christians. It says, 
uh, it's a reference to all of it. It says, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, I thank you for that event that happened years ago. And wherever that young lady is, God, I pray that you would touch her heart this morning, that you would pull on her. Father, I pray that if there's someone in here or someone listening by way of the Internet that, uh, that is straying, maybe they've denied you. Lord, I pray that they would call on you today. They would draw close to you. I pray that every person here, myself included, would make a determination to let you have your way in our lives. God, that we would draw close to you. Thank you so much for the promise that if we do draw, draw close to you, you'll draw close to us. God, would you have your way? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, over the last two Sundays, we've talked about several ways to draw close to God, several things that Peter mentions. And this morning, we're going to look at three more. And I, I'm sure there are many, many more. But I know this. God has laid these three on my heart. And so here they are. First thing we're going to talk about is the first thing that Peter says in our passages in our passage this morning is to abstain from fleshly lusts. Abstain from fleshly lusts. That's number one. Number two, to submit to the ordinance of, ordinances of man for the Lord's sake. To submit to the ordinances of man for the Lord's sake. We're going to see that here in just a moment. And then the third thing we're going to look at is to follow Jesus' example during suffering, during difficulties, during those those times when, man, it's uh, it feels like the world is just coming against us. Uh, follow Jesus' example. So we're, we're talking about God's will this morning. That's going to become clear. And drawing near to him by following his will. So let's look at the first one. Uh, drawing near to God by abstaining from fleshly lust. Look down at Chapter 2, verse 11. And uh, I'll tell you what, let's do, before we read chapter 11, uh, verse 11, let's read verse 9 again. Let's read that again. It says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him that hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, he's called us out of darkness. He's called us all out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says, come on. And so if you have answered that call, then it should change the way you live. Now, I'm, I'm pointing that, that at me too. If I, I have answered that call, I have. I've said, Lord, save me. See, he's called us out of darkness. Well, it should affect how I live. Now, in that verse 9, and before we move on to the rest of it, I sure wanted to mention this. In verse 9, where it says darkness, he's called us out of darkness. That is a metaphor for two things. It refers to two things. The first thing is 
The word darkness refers to the ignorance, uh, the ignorance respecting uh, divine things. Someone being ignorant of divine things. And the accompanying uh, ungodliness and immorality, and it even uh, goes on and, and uh, refers to hell, because that's the final destination. That's the ultimate darkness. So uh, it, it refers to those things, and then here, here it is. It refers to a person in whom darkness has become visible. Darkness has, has had its way with a person. That's the, the darkness. So it refers to a person as, uh, that is dark as well. And look at the word marvelous in verse 9. It says, he has called us to his marvelous light. Man, this is incredible. I looked it up in the Greek. It's, it's uh, referring to light that passes all human comprehension. We can't even understand it really. That marvelous light. It, it, it passes human comprehension. It is extraordinary. It means striking. It, it even means this, surprising. The word marvelous, it, that, is, uh, that is something. So remember the context. Peter is talking to strangers. He, he, mentioned, he calls them strangers, and that's in verse 1 of chapter 1. That is a New Testament metaphor as well that refers to people who are sojourning in this earth, they're walking the face of the earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. Now, I hope that describes you. Your citizenship is in heaven. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to Christians, and uh, probably many of them were Gentile Christians, no doubt, but probably there were some Jewish Christians in the, the group as well. And so as you read this letter, as we get further into this epistle, the word epistle means letters. We get further into it. You'll see that these strangers, these Christians, were standing out from their culture. And they weren't, it, they weren't blending. And the, the culture was hostile to, the, to God's uh, work, much like the, the, uh, the environment in which we live. It's hostile to the work of God. We've seen that even through uh, this coronavirus, have we not? And so uh, the, this, this, uh, this environment, this culture in which these people were living was hostile. And so these people that Peter's writing to, they were standing apart from it. They were standing out from the culture. They weren't blending in. And that's what he's called us to do. And so it was costly in many ways. And so the last two weeks, we've looked at... Uh, the question, how do we draw near to God? And we've looked at several ways to do that. You'll remember this. We've, uh, we've looked at being sober. That means having our minds under control and alert. We've looked at being holy. It means making the decisions of our lives based on the Word of God. We're trying, to, we're trying to follow God. And then we looked at remembering the high price of redemption. Remember that. We were redeemed with, verse, uh, chapter 1 says, with the precious blood of Jesus. And then last week we looked at desiring the sincere milk of the word. Remember that? Desiring it, in other words, turning from all the junk and desiring the sincere milk of the word so that we can grow, so that we can become more like Jesus. And then offering spiritual sacrifices and then uh, showing forth praises. So now we're talking about abstaining from fleshly lusts. So now let's read verse 11. It says, Dearly beloved, 
I beseech you as strangers, there it is again, as strangers and pilgrims. You're just passing through. We're just sojourning here in this earth. Okay, we're Christians. Our citizenship is in heaven. He says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. That's a big deal. Okay, now the word beseech. It means to summon. Now, I'm reading out the King James here. Yours may say beg or I instruct you or I encourage you. Okay? Beseech. It means to summon, to uh, encourage, to instruct. It even means to beg. He says, I beseech you. Abstain from fleshly lust. Now the word fleshly, it means this. It pertains to the flesh. It's the idea of depravity, of just uh, carnal depravity it's the idea of someone being governed by uh, human nature rather than the spirit of God so he says abstain from fleshly just that uh, carnal stuff abstain from that uh, and he says from fleshly lusts now the word lusts in this passage means desires it means cravings it means it especially means this longing or desiring something that is forbidden can you associate with that so peter is saying or god through peter is saying abstain from those fleshly those carnal things that that which is forbidden uh, abstain from that those desires that are forbidden those whatever it is that are forbidden now the fleshly lusts uh, certainly wage war against our physical bodies. Do they not? I mean, with, with the things we do that are wrong, we, uh, they wage war against our physical body. But look at, the, look at the emphasis here. The emphasis is not on the physical body. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul that's the inner man so it's it's the inner man that's the emphasis here these fleshly lusts desiring the things that are forbidden and giving in to those things that are forbidden that uh that that wages war they wage war on the inner man now notice the present tense it says which war against the soul. So the battle is ongoing. He gives it to us in present tense. It's ongoing all the way to the end. We're going to have these, these temptations that come against us, come against our not just our physical body, but against our inner man. They come against us to try to pull us off base. To try to They're waging war against us. And so he says abstain from. See that? abstain from that means to hold oneself off hold yourself back hold yourself uh, refrain yourself from it well how do i do that see that's what i want to know i always ask how i can see what it says abstain but how do i do that self-control yes the Bible says for us to exercise self-control. And to, uh, it says a, a man that lacks control is, is uh, like a city that doesn't have walls. 
And so we're to exercise self-control, but that's not enough because we need, we need help in this battle. We need help in this war. And the help is, the helper is the Holy Spirit of God. So we, we've talked about this before. Uh, being filled with the Spirit is a reference to being controlled by the Spirit. In other words, pouring the Word of God into us. The Holy Spirit wrote the Word. And so what we're to do is to be guided by the Word. So when those, those thoughts, those desires, those fleshly lusts come at us, they're waging war on us. They come at us. We need to go to the Word. We need the Holy Spirit's help. We need to draw near to God. Do you see that? Now look at this. The ultimate goal. Look at verse 12. Having your conversation, that means your conduct, having your conversation or your conduct honest among the Gentiles. Now that word Gentiles is a reference to someone that's unsaved in this passage. Having your conversation honest against the Gentiles, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, did you see that? So, he says, abstain from fleshly lust, And he gives the reason, so that those unsaved people will see you. They'll see, he uses the words good works. They'll see you doing what's right. And it says they'll glorify God in the day of visitation. That's a big deal. That's the ultimate goal here. And so the meaning here is probably, now it could be a reference also to the end of time. But it looks like the meaning is, and it probably is, that the unbeliever, the Gentile in this passage, might be persuaded when they see what, how we live, when they see us not, uh, not blending, but standing out, that they might be persuaded or convinced to become a Christian. And that brings glory to God. When a, when a person receives Jesus as their Savior, when they say, yes, Lord, when they receive Jesus as their Savior, that brings glory to God, and God wants to use us, you and I, to reach them. So we have to draw near to Him in order to abstain from fleshly lusts because He's after every person. And so we need to write down, if you're listening from home this morning, be sure and write this down, and that is 1 Timothy 2.4. Now, we went over 1 Timothy, and uh, you remember the verse, it's 2.4, and it says that the will of God is that every person be saved. That's what he wants. He has that, that's his desired will is that every person will be saved. Now, we know from Revelation that his desired will does not always occur because of choice. We each have a choice. But he tries to reach people. He wants to reach people, and he uses us. He uses you and I. And one of the ways is, is to abstain from fleshly lusts. So, 
Let's look at the second one. The second direction from this morning's text for drawing near to God is to submit yourself, to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man. And specifically, it says, for the Lord's sake. Look at verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance. That means every authority. Every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now that one will step on your toes. Right? That's a big deal. The principle here is that God has ordained authority over us. And the expectation is from God for us to for us as citizens is to submit to the authority that he has ordained over us. Now, be sure and write this particular uh, reference down. This is Romans chapter 13. As a matter of fact, the entire chapter of Romans chapter 13. Here's uh, verse 1. Let me read it to you. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. It says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. He says the powers that be are ordained of God. Let me read that again. Let every soul, that's you and I, and that's everybody, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. That's a reference to civil government. For the powers that be, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained by God. Now, let's go look back over at 1 Peter. It says, let's, let's read verses 13 and 14. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him, sent by God for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. See, he's ordained human authority, civil government. Now, I usually ask questions about this time, and that is, why are some allowed to be in positions of authority? You know, there are some that I, you know, you look at them and you think, why, why is he the, the guy in charge? And I, I got to tell you, I don't know. I don't know. But rest assured that God is in ultimate charge. He's ultimately in charge. And you can be assured of that. But from these passages, the passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 all the way down to 20, and then Romans chapter 13, the entire chapter, those two are parallel passages. And from those passages, as Christians, we see God's expectation for us. And here it is. 
His expectation, according to these passages, is to honor and obey God's delegated authority. That's it. We're to honor and obey God's delegated authority. Look down at, you can see down there at verse 17, it says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Okay, we might say honor, you know, we've got different levels of, of uh, authority. The president, the vice president, all those others, all those others up there, the governors, whatever it might be. But when you, when you look at chapter 13 of Romans and chapter 2 of First uh, Peter, those are the key words. We're expected to honor and to obey those in authority. Now, let me tell you about honor. I looked it up. Honor is the attitude of submission. You see, now Peter is writing to a hostile, he's writing to people who are in a hostile environment. So honor is the attitude of submission. It is the, what I would call the internal respect and the internal desire to comply with that authority, whoever it is, whatever that authority is. It's internal. That is honor. And there also in these passages, you'll find the word obey. Obey. That is the actual action of submission. Obey. It's the external compliance to that authority. Now listen close. Listen close. This is what the Bible teaches regarding honoring and obeying. I'm going to give it straight to you from uh, straight from the Bible. We are always expected to honor. Always. Always. Always expected to honor. A great example of that is Daniel. The book Daniel and the man Daniel. In the book Daniel, you'll see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see them honoring. That was a difficult situation they were in. The man Daniel. It's a great example. We are always expected to honor. However, this is straight from Scripture. This isn't Craig's opinion. This is, this is uh, God's direction for us. This is not some opinion of man. This is God's direction. There are times when delegated authority, God's delegated authority, must be disobeyed. Yet, we are always to obey God. Did you hear that? There are times when God's delegated authority must be disobeyed. Now, I'm going to give you those two times. There's two of them. But we're always to obey God. Here's the first one. If the delegated authority forbids something that God commands. Let me say that again. If the delegated authority forbids something that God commands, then we are not to obey the delegated authority. We are, we are to obey God. 
I'll give you some references. Acts chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. And Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 29. That's Acts chapter 5, 19 through 20. That's where Peter, that's where they were told by God, by the Holy Spirit of God, go speak in the temple. Go tell them about me in the temple. And then Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 29. That's where they said, that's where the authority said, the, the delegated authority said, don't ever speak of that name again. Don't, don't speak of that. And Peter says something there. It's interesting, we're studying Peter. In Acts, Peter says something that's very powerful in that passage, in that Acts chapter 5, and I believe it's down about verse 29. He says, we ought to obey God rather than man. We ought to obey God rather than man. So the first way when we... When, uh, when we're to disobey the delegated authority is when the delegated authority forbids something that God commands. The second way, the second instance would be if the delegated authority commands something that God forbids. We're not to obey. See, we're to obey God. And a good example of that is Daniel chapter 3. That's where you see it. And that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when the king, when Nebuchadnezzar said, fall down and worship the statue. The God, God's word says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You shall not do that. And so that's why they said, they honored the king. They said, king, we, we, uh, we respect you, but we can't do that. They, they weren't. Uh, they weren't disrespectful to him. And you can read that passage and see that. So in Scripture, even when wicked authority is recognized, and it is, in Scripture, wicked authority, you'll see that, that it's even recognized and it's upheld by God. He's in, he's in charge. But here's what we must do. Because we have to know what to do. We're living in a hostile time. Here's what you have to do. You, then you see this in Daniel. You see this in Daniel chapter 1, and that is you try to find a way to obey. As a matter of fact, you might even try to find an alternative. That's what Daniel did in Daniel chapter 1. You see him trying to find an alternative when they tried to get him to eat things that he said, oh, we, can't, we can't do that, and he tried to find an alternative. Okay. Secondly, you honor even if you can't obey. You honor, as a Christian, you honor that authority, even if you can't obey, and that is found in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel's a marvelous example, and so is Acts on some of these. In other words, you, you remain with a good attitude toward whoever's in charge. And then the last thing you got to know, though, is this. You may still have to suffer the consequences. I'll give you an example on that. That's Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, the same example with Peter. Acts chapter 5 and verse 40. It says they beat him. They beat him and then let him go. Because Peter said we ought to obey God rather than man. That's the direction from Scripture of how 
to handle the authority because we know I, I took you to two passages here one in Romans 13 and one here in 1 Peter chapter 2 where all the authority is ordained by God it is established by God civil government God has established it he is in the, he's the one that's in control they are under him they're not outside of him they are under him so that's important for us to remember now Look down at, at uh, verse 15 of chapter 2 of, of 1 Peter. Remember he says, submit yourselves to, in verse 13, he says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors, as unto them that are sent by him, by God, they're sent by God for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Look at verse 15. For so is the will of God. This is the will of God. That we do this. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, that's important. So we're talking about the will of God. We're talking about drawing close to God by following the will of God. That's significant. That's significant. So the first thing this morning of drawing near to God is to abstain from fleshly lusts that are warring against us. And why do we do that? We do it because God's word says he wants to reach those other people. And we're not supposed to be lusting after fleshly things anyway, but the reason he gives here is so that those non-believers will see it, they'll see us operating that way, and they'll be drawn to him. He's after them. He's after that person in your life that is is running 180 degrees the other way. That person maybe that is hard to love, he's after them, and he wants to use you. And then we're to submit, we're to set the example as Christians. We're to submit to, what does it say? To every authority of man for the Lord's sake. That's the will of God. And the two key words, remember, you've got to remember these words. We honor and we obey. And we always honor, always. But there may be a time, and there is in Scripture, there may come a time in your life when that choice is right there. And you've got to always choose to obey God. Always, always obey God. Now let's look at point three. Point three, the third direction for, from this morning's text for drawing close to God is to follow Jesus' example when you're in the middle of suffering. When things are hard, when, when you get your legs knocked out from under you, everybody's talking down to you, you've got to look at Jesus' example. Look what it says. Let's look at verse 21. It says, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us, now here, here it is, leaving us an example, that we that ye should follow his steps. See, we're to follow his steps. We're to follow his example. Look what it says he did in verse 22. He did no sin. You see that? He didn't sin. Now, sin is anything that goes against the nature, the, the character of God. Whether it's a lie. You know, the Bible even says a foolish thought is sin. And I can't remember the proverb that is, but the foolish, a foolish thought is sin. So a sin is anything that goes against 
the character of God. Anything. And he says that Jesus did no sin. That's the mark for us to strive for, is no sin. Now, I fail at that. That's a high mark. And so when we fail at that, we go to God, we confess our sins. That's what John, uh, 1 John 1 9 says, says uh, if you confess your sins, I mean, you go deep. Lord, forgive me for how I just talked to that person. Or Lord, forgive me for the thought that just went through my mind. Please, just, Lord, confess those. That's what it says. Confess those sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what 1 John 1.9 says. But we have, a, we have an example to follow. And that is Jesus, no sin. Look what it says. He, it says, he did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. Now, guile is deceit. No deceit, no lies. In other words, as Christians, we're to steer clear of deception. I mean, run from it, whether it's flattery or whatever. Run from it. As a matter of fact, you look back up at verse 12, he says, having your conduct honest among the Gentiles. Honesty is Jesus' modus operandi. That's how he operates, and it needs to be ours as well. Look what it says in verse 22. He did no sin, and we're to follow in his steps. He, neither was there guile found in his mouth. Look at verse 23. Who, when he was reviled... He reviled not again. The word reviled means, the word revile means to attack. It means to, to bash someone, to criticize someone angrily. It says he didn't do that. Now he was, he's getting crucified for doing what's right. It says he didn't revile. They were reviling him, but he just kept, kept quiet. Just kept quiet. That was his example. Now remember, it says in verse 21 that you should follow his steps. He gave us an example. He didn't uh, look at the next one. It says he threatened not. He didn't threaten them. And then uh, it says that he, com but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He committed himself to the will of God of God the Father. And that's what you and I need to do. So when you're in the midst of suffering, when it is difficult in your life, and that may be many, many times, then here's the example. We've got to look to Jesus. No sin, no guile, no vileness or re reviling of people, no threatening. I think that's interesting. You know, I, I had to look and see, now, what did James say? You know, you always want to go back to James. James says, James 1.19 says, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. That's what James 1.19 says. You know, I witnessed a preacher one time, not too many years ago. I witnessed a preacher in another town getting attacked. Oh, he was attacked horribly. Now, you know, 
I remember looking at that and thinking, man, I think I would do this and then, you know, do that. And, and you know what he did? He said, no, I'm going to follow the example of my Lord. And that's what he did. He didn't revile. He didn't threaten. He just kept quiet. And that's exactly uh, the example that Jesus set. I thank God for that man. I thank God for his testimony. We're talking about drawing close to God, abstaining from fleshly lust, submitting to every authority of man for the Lord's sake. That's his will. And following his example, drawing close to him, following his example when we're in the midst of suffering. Now, we're going to go into a time of invitation. And after the invitation, uh, Brother Johnny Tonica is going to come up and he's going to tell you how to get in touch with our church. Uh, those of you listening, uh, we want you to stay with us here during this invitation time. And, and so, uh, but at the very end, Johnny's going to come up and, and, and uh, give you a phone number. Uh, perhaps you have, you have questions about some of the things we talked about today. Maybe you're in the midst of a struggle. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. And uh, maybe you have some questions about salvation. And we sure want to help you there. And be sure and contact us. Friend, Jesus is pursuing you. He's pursuing you. And we live in an age that is hostile to God. And God has called us out of the darkness... Like verse 9 says, He's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Have you answered that call? Have you answered that call?